0: Well, hello there, friend, and welcome to the My Adoption Coach podcast. I am so glad that you decided to join us today. My name is Amanda, and I'm an adoption profile expert. I help hopeful adoptive families create, edit, and share their adoption profiles with expectant families so that you can match faster. I do this by giving you step-by-step resources to help you all along your adoption journey. So let's dive right in. Are you considering adopting from foster care and curious what the process is like? Do you really wish you could learn from someone that has gone before you? Well, on today's show, we are talking with Laura from the MABA Systems, who happens to be a mother of 10 kiddos, some of them through biological means and others that were adopted from the state of Texas through foster care. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please click the little three dots in the top right-hand corner if you're listening to this on Apple and click follow the show. That's going to allow you to be notified each week when I release new episodes. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for allowing me to come on. I'm so glad to be here. Good. Would you share a little bit more about your background and, and who you are with our audience?
1: Yeah. So I am a mama and we have 10 kiddos and kind of through our process of adoption and fostering and all of that, um, it kind of got crazy there for a little bit. And so in that needing to get out of survival mode and knowing that we couldn't remain in chaos forever, um, I searched everywhere for systems to put in place and nobody really fit our family. We were either too big or we homeschooled when others went to public school or we had too many therapy appointments or whatever our oddness was. We didn't fit whatever they had. And so I finally was like, "I we've got to figure something out for ourselves. And so um, I created a process that I walked myself through of just figuring out what's important to us and what's not important to us and how to prioritize those things. And so now I get to do that with other moms and help them prioritize the things that matter to them. And um, I run a business called Mama Systems and that's what we do. We walk them through a process that helps them put systems in their home so they can have more peaceful lives.
0: And I can tell you as... As a mom myself, that is always something we're striving for um, in our house, especially as a you know a working mom of basically you know kind of two two balls in the air plus the kids and the dogs and the husband and the, all the things, right? So yes, I love that. I love that you really took charge of your life in that manner. You you touched on something there that I thought was you know why we wanted to have you on the show today is that you are a mom of kind of many hats as it relates to how children came to your family as well. So you have some biological children, you have some children through foster care and adoption. So I'd love if you would take just a moment to tell us a little bit about your adoption story so that we can really dig in and get to know you a little bit better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we, after our third biological child, my husband said, you know what, we really, if we're going to adopt, we need to go ahead and pull this trigger because I don't know if we have another one, if I'm going to be able to adopt any, uh, which is kind of humorous now that we have 10, he was worried about having four. feels <laughs> four like a cakewalk at the moment. Um, <laughs> and so we went to an adoption class at our church and just kind of learned about all the different kinds of adoption and what we really wanted to do. And I wanted to adopt from Africa and he wanted to adopt from China. And When the foster care panel got up, we both looked at each other and go, oh, crap, this is what we're supposed to do. (laughs) Um, Because I don't, not many people want to adopt from the foster care system. You know how broken your heart's going to get along the way. And so we weren't really that enthusiastic about it, but we knew that's what we're supposed to be doing. And so we, we pursued it. And we had Andrew in our home a couple of months later, and he is precious and wonderful and amazing. And he was with us from birth. From Link. He came straight to the hospital, to our house, and then went back to his mom at eight months. And she had done all the things that she was supposed to do and, you know, checked all the boxes. And we subsequently had two more kids and she subsequently had two more kids. And we, oh, had, wow. moved, we had moved to Seattle and um, she had moved to Louisiana. And so it was just very like, we're never going to have him in our home again, right? So even if they're taken away again, he's not coming back to us because we're not both in Texas. and just how, I, I don't know if, if you're a person of faith or not, but
0: yes, yes, how, like
1: how the Lord works is so crazy. Cause he brought them back to Texas and, um, they were put in a foster home. They were taken away again and put in a foster home here in Texas. And that led us to like, we had kept in touch with them a lot. And I had called the CPS worker to check in a ton and just say like, Hey, how are they? What's going on? And she said, I've never like, it took a whole year for her to call me back. And she's like, I've never had a family call and check on foster kids before. What's your deal? Like, what's wrong? With <laughs> you? What's wrong with you? And I was like, well, like, I love these kids. I want right. to know about them. I care about them. And so finally, I think she kind of realized that I was like a genuine <laughs> concerned citizen. Right. And yeah. so she started sharing with me more about their struggles at the current moment. And mm-hmm. they wanted to put them in um, a group home and they were three, two and one at the time. Yeah. And so we are like, Oh gosh, we can't do that. You can't have them in a group home. We'll, We'll adopt them. Like, what do we need to do? And so we actually started the whole foster care process up in Seattle. Oh
0: wow! Um,
1: we got trained up there, and then we got to the home study part, and they're basically like, "Yeah, it's going to be too many young children under one roof, and we don't want to take on that responsibility." So we're like, "Well, fine, we'll do private adoption up there." So we did that whole process, um, and Mom had said like, "Hey, I would love for you to take them," and that was wonderful just to have that
0: that verbal, yeah, the verbal yeah. blessing.
1: Um, and so. We did. We just kept trying up there. We tried several different ways. We hired attorneys. We hired like just had so many people up there fighting for us. But the ICPC is that right? Yes, ICPC. ICPC? Yes, uh-huh. yeah. Interstate. Every compact, time I'm like, i saying, yes. <laughs> the ICPC rules of like interstate compact of like transferring children from state to state. They basically just said you have to get through us, and we're not going to give you a yes. And so it came down to like, hey, you either have to move back or you have to give up on these kids. And so we're like, well, we're moving back. We're not giving up. Um, so we moved back to Dallas and redid foster training again. So It's like our our fifth go around of foster care training. And they ended up, um, coming a few months later. Um, they were actually placed with us on Andrew's fourth birthday. And yeah, so they were with us for about a year and then we adopted and it's, they've been a part of our family ever since. Um, yeah,
0: What is a story of um, just hope and resilience that you and your family really exhibited throughout that entire process? I often coach our community on the fact that adoption is not easy. There's, there's no straight path from here to there that gets you. There's going to be crooks and curves and bends around the way that you just don't see and know. But what you have to know and have peace with is that this is the path that you're meant to be on. And if you have that just, you know, just naturally in your body and your soul and your gut, then you're going to get there over time. So congratulations on having that and really <laughs> seeing that through because it takes a special type of person in my mind in order to be able to do that. Well, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but <laughs> thank you. I know when people tell me they're like "good on you," and I'm like, "Yeah," I'm like, "I, I don't know if I'm stubborn <laughs> or or what." Like somehow I just I was getting. <laughs> excited about me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you touched a little bit on the fact that one, you've you've got ten kiddos and you have you know obviously some that are biological and some that are adopted. Um I do get that question a lot in our community around you know kind of the differences and are there any and all of those types of things. Do you mind just to touch on that for a moment of of what that's like in your family? Um as long as you're ready for me to be really honest and Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So the only way we I don't get any hate mail. <laughs> no. <laughs> we just do that. Okay. I, it's it's different. Um and a a little bit more about our three, they all have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and that's kind of has a whole host of comorbidities with it. So uh, mental issues, emotional issues, physical issues, um, intellectual issues. And so they're pretty, they're very high needs is kind of the bottom line here. Um, So they're just really hard. And I don't know how much of my experience with having a, Adopted kiddos and bio kiddos. How much of that is?
0: Um,
1: I don't want to say tainted, but that's what the what's As, a better
0: word? Yeah, or it's different because of that experience.
1: It's different because of that experience. Yeah, <laughs> it's a much nicer way to put it, huh? Um, so I'm not sure. I can't really decipher between the two, right, in that way. But I do know that I could have the very same experience with one of my biological children and one of with my um, adopted kiddos and not necessarily like what comes out of my mouth or how I physically respond, but just like my thoughts and my like frustration level and everything is so different. Mm. Um, and just that attachment piece of like them being my child, like having come out of my body, Mm. um, is, is really big. It's really big. And it's kind of a scary thing to say because I don't think anybody wants to say it because nobody's ever said that to me. Like nobody told us that on our journey and, like, I want to be honest with people about it. And I don't, well, I would not change a thing about it. Right. But I wish somebody would have been like, oh, it's going to be different. Like, there's different feelings and there's different, different thoughts behind everything. And, um, yeah. So I wish somebody was honest with me. And at the same time, I don't feel like that should deter anybody from, like, it's okay yeah. that you don't feel the same way. It's okay that you don't like that you respond a little differently. And I mean, I, I don't know. And just get the journey of getting to it's okay has been yeah. quite a journey for me.
0: So, that that is true it's I'd love to know, like did you know about these diagnoses before these children came into your home?
1: Not at all. What um, was
0: the process of figuring that out, and how did you how did you get there?
1: Yeah, so we knew um that bio parents had lower iqs like we were aware of that um but then with all this stuff with them, I was like, Oh, it's all trauma. Like we've, we had learned so much about trauma and so much about attachment that it was kind of what was given to us on a platter was they're acting this way because of trauma. And once we kind of not fix that, but once we kind of heal that by making them feel safe, then everything's going to be great. And you're going to have this attachment and you're going to, they're going to catch up developmentally. And, um, you know, so you'll be in therapies for the first couple of years, but after that, everything's going to be fine. (laughs) And we kept waiting for that magical, it, it felt like just over and over again, we heard like about two years, you stay consistent, you do this, this will happen. And that never happened. And We kept waiting and waiting. And um we finally did evaluations and Matthew had had a seizure and the mm-hmm. neurologist was like, yeah, well, they're really, um, his processing speed is really low. And I was like, what does that mean? Like I, I just had no concept of any special needs at all. And so he was explaining to me what IDD was, which is intellectual and developmental delay. Okay. Which, for those who don't know, it is—it's the new PC term for mental retardation. Okay. Um, I had no had no hat to hang that on whenever he told me that, and so yeah. when I looked that up, I was like, "Oh, okay." Now I I kind of have a category to put this whole thing in. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know.
0: Really?
1: Um, and it wasn't until one of our occupational therapists mentioned something about FASD that I was like. Oh, that's a possibility. I'd never, yeah, like in training, they didn't tell us much about it. They maybe spent a thirty minute session on it, and they did not tell us, however, that um it could get worse over the years and things could could really escalate. and this could be a lifelong thing, and it's legit brain damage. It's not like something that they heal from after two years. It's something that stays with them forever. And so um it I mean, it's just been quite the journey. It's been tricky to get diagnoses because there's not that many clinics and there's not that many doctors who are willing to diagnose it. And
0: mm.
1: But what, what I've found is once I've gotten that diagnosis, it's given me so much more grace for them and just being able to understand what's going on with their brains, with their actions. They don't understand mm-hmm. consequences. Um, like if this, then this is mm-hmm. so far beyond them. And I, it, it's just been it's allowed me to be a better mom. Because of the diagnosis, and we've also been able to get, receive help and get the right kind of therapies, and I don't know, it's been it's been quite the journey. But it,
0: yeah, it sounds like it. But that's a really good perspective, I think, for anybody out there listening. Is that one you don't know what you're getting into, right? At, at any time, at any part of life, and adoption or otherwise, right? And so it's really about you know, kind of continuing to what I call like peel the layers of the onion backwards, right? Just keep searching for that truth and what's going on and trusting your gut. If something feels off, you're going to have to be your child's advocate, no matter what in all stages of life, but just keep seeking out those resources so that you can get the right tools. So whether it's, you know, therapies or it's, you know, other types of things that you can do to reverse or not reverse, it's about having the right set of tools to really help them navigate and continue to develop and flourish, you know, to whatever capacity and abilities that they have, um, you know, within the rest of their life, really. So I'd, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about what that process is like for you and kind of everyday life. Is it, you know, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, therapies and occupational therapies. Are there other things that hopeful adoptive families should be thinking about ahead of time that maybe you've learned along the way?
1: Yes. So there are always, there's always help out there and it's a matter of finding it. And there's been several times where I've been told that, hey, there might be something like at our school. There's there's programs funded by the state that like allow our kids to go to camp for free every summer. Um, And I've asked around several times before I finally found everybody's like I've never heard of anything like that. I don't know what you're talking about. So people don't really know anything is what I'm discovering um, in the kindest way possible. They're just not educated. The people you think would be educated on these things are not, um, including doctors, including people at school they just don't know and in fact it's pretty like the opposite of like not that they're like i don't know i've never heard of it it's more like no you fool we don't do anything like that like it's it's more com- almost combative of like you're going to come up against these walls and it's not like a dead end wall it's like the wall's fighting you back mm-hmm. on over and over and over again um and maybe that's not everybody's journey but that's how it has been for us of just trying to advocate for them and me having to go in and educate doctors and me having to go in and educate educators say like, Hey, this is how they learn best. This is what this disease is, or this is what this disability is. And this is how you're going to help them learn best. Um, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting to have to become such an advocate for FASD when we adopted. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, wow. I mean, again, that t- just shows resilience, right? You're you're fighting and being the advocate for your kiddos. I'd love to learn a little bit more about the foster care process in general in Texas. Um, and it sounds like maybe you learned a little bit about it in, in Washington as well. My audience and, and myself are primarily familiar with private adoption. Mm-hmm. So just a high level overview of how it works in Texas would be super helpful for us.
1: Yes. And I know some things have changed since we have adopted. Um, okay. They allowed group homes until we adopted. And I think they saw us and said, okay, no more group homes. We can't do that anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they stopped that like a year after we adopted. Um, but you go through a, a class and typically how it works is the government helps fund agencies and you go through agencies. Um, and so some states don't have that. Some states do. And you can also go through CPS here as well. But in that you go through an agency and do all of their training, all of their courses, have your home study done. And then after all of that's approved and they do the background checks and all of that, then you can get a child placed in your home. So you get on a list of like, Hey, I would like a, or we're willing to take a toddler or younger yeah. female. And then you might get a call about a six-year-old boy. So it, it's not really that scientific, your, your wish list, I guess, but, mm-hmm. um, I think they try to stick within those parameters because there's always kids that fall on those parameters. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a lot more cost effective than private adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like we do not have an open adoption. I stay in contact with mom, um, like on my end, but she doesn't have access to the kids or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much like, unless families kind of come up with a different plan. Otherwise, that's pretty much how it works here.
0: Exactly. Okay. That's super helpful. I know that you've mentioned, you know, once or twice that you, again, had no idea, you know, Mm -hmm. all the kind of, um, things that you'd be facing as you walked through this journey of parenting these kids. I know that you had prepared, you know, three tips for our audience as it relates to parenting a special needs child. Would you mind to share those with the, with the audience?
1: Yeah. And I think the first one is definitely applies across the board. and that's just knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's what you're supposed to be doing yeah. because it's going to get hard and they're going to be really hard days. Um, Regardless of if you've had the child since birth or whatever, you're just going to have hard days and you're going to be thinking like, should I have done this? Like, am I the right mom for this kid? And it's so helpful to know like, nope, I know that I was supposed to be doing this right now. And so regardless of how I'm feeling now, I've made this commitment and this is what we're doing. Um, my second piece is to make sure that you and your spouse are really on the same page moving forward. And that sounds so simple, but I I think so often we're not, or maybe like one spouse is like, well, I I I guess we could do that. And you move forward, but it is such a big deal to have someone on your team who is on the same page as you, who has signed up for this together so that it's not like a resentful bitterness um, to struggle throughout your marriage and throughout raising this child. and. I feel like that's like more important um, when you're adopting a special needs child, just the, the special needs parents divorce rate is 80%. So it's a lot higher than the typical 50% for everybody else. And I get it. Like I'm, I'm like, there are just so many hard days and having him on my team and knowing that we're in this together is so, so helpful. And I can only imagine if it was flipped and he was like, Oh, I don't want these kids. I don't know. Like whatever. Yeah, I can only imagine how, how much quickly, how much quicker <laughs> we would have just fallen apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so my last, my last little tidbit is just knowing that there's more than attachment. Um, that's something that's yeah. preached widely in the adoption community. And I think that would be wonderful if we all could build attachment, but we all can't. And that's okay. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It doesn't mean that you weren't supposed to have these kids or they're not the right kids or anything like that. Like it, it's just can be hard and it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. And there's no, there does not need to be any shame there whatsoever. So I think that's my, my biggest piece. I feel like a, attachment was pushed really hard and it's probably still pushed really hard um, in books and podcasting and courses and all the things. Um, and there's just, especially if you find out later that you have kids that are brain damaged, it's, it's just not, It's not going to look anything like you thought it was going to look
0: like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those are really valuable tips and, and I think again, you have just a such a rich history and of experience that has been so varied and you've learned so much. Um, it's been incredibly helpful. Uh, I hope that audiences found it incredibly helpful. I know I have to, to learn from you. I, I know at the very beginning of the episode we touched a little bit on the mama systems. And so if you don't mind, I'd love to go back and circle back just to learn a little bit more from you there. Because obviously you have got your hands full, you got 10 kiddos at home and all super busy, so I'd love if you spend just a minute to talk about kind of, you know, the Mama Systems at an overview perspective, if you will.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Mama Systems is my coaching business, and I get to help moms put systems in place in their homes so they can live more peaceful and intentional lives. Because I find what happens is so many of us just get in the rat race, and we're taking kids to school, and we're coming home, and we're doing dinner, and we're but we just have all these things, and the things that we want to be intentional about, like reading with our kids and spending time with them and going on vacation. So like whatever that is, it's important to said mom, that's like pushed way back in the back burner because all of these urgent things. And so once we get these systems in place for the urgent things, they're no longer urgent and we can spend time doing the things that we want to be doing. And so it's so fun. It's such a
0: joy to get to know so many different mamas and and to really help them with those things. So That is awesome. I wish I had found you during COVID. I I will fully admit I'm still in that kind of post COVID hangover um, in my life of like, what was I doing as a person for me (laughs) before that? Because I went into that survival mode, right? Of just like take care of everybody and all the things and um, actually I had just started doing like more blogs and more videos and all of that went way out of the window when I was, you know, full-time preschool teacher, full-time worker, full-time mom, full-time wife, you know, all in the the span of a, a second, it felt like, you know, in my home every day, all day long. And then I came out of it and I was like, you know, I just kind of stuck in these patterns and I never really went back to what made me, me. So, um, I highly encourage folks to reach out. And I even think that there's an opportunity proactively for folks to start thinking about this from the moment that baby comes home and to really think about setting those patterns and those healthy boundaries and relationships from the very beginning. And so I would encourage the audience, don't just wait and think, well, you know, once baby comes home and we get kind of sorted and settled and all of those things, I think they should really seek you out in community beforehand so that they have the right tools in their toolbox.
1: Well, I think they should too, (laughs) Uh, but also, also I agree. There's always going to be something that you're like, Oh, we'll wait until my husband stops traveling or we'll wait until whatever. And there's always something. And so you kind of miss, I mean, it goes by so fast. People say that all the time, but I'm like, ah, I have a senior now and what happened? Right. What happened? I don't know. Um, Yeah. So just like wishing that I had been more intentional at times and, I don't know. I feel like there could be a lot of regret on the back end of things if we're not intentional with our people now. So,
0: yeah, you're really right. That. Oh, that's awesome. Where can people go to find more about you?
1: Yeah, um, mamasystems.net is my website, and you can find some great tools there. I do, I would love to share with you a self care guide to make sure that mamas mm-hmm. are taking care of themselves and really have that piece planned out um, and really have that part implemented. So, I'll, I'll, share that with you. And hopefully you can share it in the show notes. And absolutely. Okay.
0: Perfect. Yep, I'll share the show notes. And for those of you in the My Adoption Coach Facebook community, I'll make sure and link it inside there as well so that you can find Laura and get connected. And Laura, thank you so much. You have done, a, one, just a wonderful job of just giving us a glimpse into your world, but two, broadening horizons and giving us a different set of tools and questions to ask. And I hope also energizing the audience about the possibilities that lie ahead and the fact that Ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to be your child's best advocate and continuing to do that, but also not forgetting to be your own advocate for creating the life that you really want. So I really appreciate your time today, Laura. Ah, Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful. (laughs) Thank you. I trust that you found a lot of value in our conversation with Laura today. She touched on quite a few topics that I think was incredibly helpful. One, just understanding the challenges that can come in the unknowns that happen in the adoption process. The second, learning a little bit more about the foster care adoption process in the state of Texas. Then she gave us three tips for parenting a special needs child that is also adopted. And finally, a reminder of the importance of self-care and how when you take care of yourself, you can show up to take care of others better. So if you want to check out Laura, make sure you head on over to mamasystems.net to learn more about her. Remember, anything's possible with the right plan and support. And I'm just an email away. I'll see you soon, friend.